Hi, this is Hansen from Archippus Awakening, a ministry that's dedicated to the awakening of saints that we may know and fulfill our God-given kingdom assignments. And this is why we have Kingdom 101. We revisit kingdom fundamentals so that we can know Jesus our King all over again, embrace the things of His kingdom so we can move rightly on our kingdom assignments. The title for today's teaching is All for One. Well, it's partly inspired by the three musketeers. I love this slogan, all for one and one for all. Well, the first part is nice, but how about the second part? Well, it's true that the community should look out for that one, the individual. But the individual tends to forget that the way he or she lives will also affect the larger community. Well, I like the community to love me, to look out for me. But the question is, do I love the community in the same way I want them to love me? Our text will focus more on all for one. But let's not miss the responsibility of the one that the all will be rooting for. Well, join me, let's pray, and we will get into today's teaching. Heavenly Father, Thank you, Lord, for giving us instructions and for guiding us. I pray, Holy Spirit, be with me and be with everyone watching or listening in that you will teach us and that we will respond correctly. We ask all this in Jesus' name. Let's read our passage for this teaching. Matthew chapter 18, verses 15 to 20. Moreover, if your brother sins against you, Go and tell him his fault between you and him alone. If he hears you, you have gained your brother. But if he will not hear, take with you one or two more, that by the mouth of two or three witnesses, every word may be established. And if he refuses to hear them, tell it to the church. But if he refuses even to hear the church, let him be to you like a heathen and a tax collector." Assuredly, I say to you, whatever you bind on earth will be bound in heaven, and whatever you loose on earth will be loosed in heaven. Again, I say to you that if two of you agree on earth concerning anything that they ask, it will be done for them by my Father in heaven. For where two or three are gathered together in my name, I am there in the midst of them. I bring your attention to the very first word, of the passage which we read. Matthew chapter 18, verse 15 begins with this word, moreover. And moreover just means, I want you to listen a little bit more. What I've taught you, that's important, don't forget it. But let's add on to what you know. You must continue in the teaching and in your learning. So let's review together. Matthew 18 is about the king and his kingdom community. Started with a question of greatness. And the Lord wants to remind us of the place of humility, how important it is. And even in this passage, humility features big time. We learned about the stumbling stone that we should not stumble others. And why is that so? Because the kingdom is about righteousness and the king wants to protect his community from unrighteousness. King Jesus is super serious about righteousness and about sin in the kingdom community. Let's remember this as a backdrop. Then we get to the parable of the lost sheep where we are reminded, let's not look down on anyone, but we are to look out for 
everyone. This is because everyone is important. And the king's intent is restoration. Hold this thought. His intent is always restoration. This sets the tone and the spirit for us to interpret and apply this passage more accurately. We can see that this passage is not one of hate or of condemnation or of rejection. Not at all. It is about love, about grace, and about restoration. And that is why it is all, the entire community, all for one. It is not all against one. I want you to hear this once more as we begin our teaching. It's all for one. It's not all against one. Now we are ready to consider our passage. I'm going to handle it in two parts. Part one is Matthew chapter 18, verses 15 to 17, and that prescribes the process. Part two, Matthew 18, verses 18 to 20, is not a separate verse or passage that talks about something different. It actually affirms the authority that we have that we may carry out the process correctly. Let's start with part one. Matthew 18, verses 15 to 17, where Jesus prescribes the process for us. Matthew 18, verse 15 starts with this. Moreover, if your brother sins against you, and there are two ways to understand this. That phrase, if your brother sins against you, can denote that a person might have been wronged or offended by another. If you have been on the receiving end, then this applies to you. Someone has acted wrongly against you or spoken out or caused you pain through his or her wrongdoing or wrong speaking. But the words against you are not found in some of the manuscripts and the commentators, the scholars, they've come together and they decide that, hey, it could also mean if your brother sins without those two words against you. Now, if that's the case, then it refers to someone who is willfully sinning and thus unrepentant. And in these two scenarios, you know, it, this process that's prescribed for us is applicable and we can apply all the four different levels uh, to these two scenarios. So if your brother sins against you or if your brother is sinning, what do we do? That's where we look at level one. Let's read on in verse 15. Go and tell him his fault between you and him alone. And if he hears you, you have gained your brother. So level one is where we're told, go to the person privately, just you and him or you and her alone. Now, scriptures support this. In the Old Testament, Leviticus chapter 19, verses 17 to 18 says, You shall not hate your brother in your heart. You shall surely rebuke your neighbor and not bear sin because of him. You shall not take vengeance nor bear any grudge against the children of your people, but you shall love your neighbor as yourself. I am the Lord. So even in a kingdom community, um, the Lord has already told us that don't hold anything uh, within your heart. Don't bear a grudge. If there's something that's not right, go speak to that person. Approach this person. And the Lord is building on this. Jesus is telling the kingdom community the same point. Don't bear it within your heart. Go and talk to this person. In the New Testament, Galatians chapter 6, verse 1, Paul exhorts, Brethren, if a man is overtaken in any trespass, you who are spiritual, restore such a one in a spirit of gentleness, considering yourself, lest you also be tempted. 
So here in the New Testament, same, same instruction. If you find someone sinning you know, or sinning against you, if you are spiritual, all that means is that you are led by the Spirit, guided by the Spirit, growing in the things of the Spirit, then it is incumbent upon you to go to this person to restore him or her, but in a spirit of gentleness. Can you see the context is there? The spirit of restoration. You're not going out there to bash someone. You have to consider yourself because you may be tempted to respond in the wrong way. What is this point all about? See, the goal is to keep the circle as small as possible. Just between two persons, I mean, how much smaller can it get? Right? If we would take this advice, heed it, and apply it well, we will not have that many problems in the communities, right? Just think of two persons, a relationship, a marriage. I think you understand what I'm trying to say. But the Lord is trying to safeguard this person who has either done someone wrong or is committing sin in that we do not take this out talk about him or her, or begin to gossip about his wrongdoing or what he or she has done against you. In fact, gossip makes things worse, right? It usually goes around the whole world and comes back to that person and uh, you start something that you can't even stop. Uh, it's even harder later on if you want to restore and you want to seek reconciliation much, much later. So this first level, this is supposed to be the easiest level, but I understand it can at times feel like it's the hardest, especially if you are the one that has to initiate the meeting. Right? You're thinking, should I do this? What if the person rejects me? Um, will I be losing face? So can you see? Humility in the kingdom relationship is key once more. How do we approach with the right spirit? How do we want to restore and speak to this one person? Level one has to be done in love as for all the other levels but it does require boldness as well as courage. Humility, again, I want to mention, is required of both parties. The one who's raising the issue, that requires humility, and the one receiving the rebuke, so to speak. Definitely, you're going to need humility for that because no one wants to be told that he or she is wrong. But the verse goes on. The whole idea is to gain a brother. If he hears and listens to you, if she would pay attention, then you would have gained a brother. The objective, the desire is to gain, is to win over a brother or a sister. You are not wanting to lose this person to sin or to wrongdoing. Now, remember, it's not about winning an argument. It's about winning over a brother or a sister. Reminder again, we are not out to get someone we are out to gain someone. We are for that person. We are not against that person. And that is why the title is All For One. You are doing this because you want to help this person. You're not just trying to get your way right and get your rights in a herd. You don't want to get someone. You want to gain someone. So the Lord says, if he hears you, you have gained a brother. Now, the one who's approaching and initiating, that's your responsibility to keep you at level one. But what's the responsibility of the person who is being approached? This person has to hear. Now, in the Bible, when we speak of hearing, it's not just, yeah, okay, I heard you, thank you very much, bye. No, it's about hearing, understanding, and obeying. 
And this just means that the person needs to respond rightly. What's the right response? If the person accepts that it is wrong and that he or she has, um, could have acted in a, in, a, in a better way or he should stop a certain action, then he should repent. The right response means to repent. And repentance is not just agreeing that I've done wrong. I need to return, right? Repentance is always to turn and to return and to come back into the community, into that relationship. And the result is we rejoice. Can you see how wonderful that process would be if that person would hear, understand, obey, respond rightly, repent, return? We can all rejoice because relationship has been restored. Level one. But the Lord is practical. He says if he does not want to respond in the correct manner, that's when we proceed to level two. Level two, bring one or two more. Let's go on in Matthew 18, verse 16. But if he will not hear, take with you one or two more, that by the mouth of two or three witnesses, every word may be established. The Lord was quoting from Deuteronomy chapter 19, verse 15 where you don't confront a person with just one witness. You need two or three to establish that matter so that it's not just one person's word against the other. And so in that same spirit, it's not talking about bringing witnesses that are strangers. You need to know this person. Definitely, you don't want to bring false witnesses um, to the whole place. This is not about ganging up. And even at this stage, it's not necessarily that leaders or pastors are involved. The point is that the people who are being invited into this conversation, they have to know the one who's being confronted. Once again, it's about relationship. It's about the community coming to this one person because we love this brother or we love this sister. And if two persons are unable to sort these things out, then you may need the support of a few others who know this person, who have relationship, who love this one individual. So the idea is that we want to support the, the person who is approaching the other who has sinned or who has offended this one person. Again, it's not ganging up. It's not more people against one person. Because these brothers or sisters that come together is also to provide godly counsel. They can provide also a clear perspective just in case one or the other party might become a little bit more emotional. Now, they are also there to verify and to ensure that no one's views are misrepresented or misquoted or for any reason, you know, um, lies are perpetuated or having a wrong impression. And if they come together as a small group, they are to witness what is carried out is done correctly and in the right spirit. So can you see again, it's all for one. You're not bringing that one or two others or even three others to be all against one. This needs to be remembered and emphasized again and again. And when we carry this out correctly and when it's received rightly, then what you have is a win-win situation. Remember, we want to win over a person. We want to gain someone. We're not out there to get someone. But if it's carried out or it's received wrongly, 
Then, of course, we have a lose-lose situation, right? You have this group uh, trying to force this person to repent. The other one says, you know, you're ganging up against me. Um, you're coming against me. You don't love me. You hate me. Why is it happening that way? So in the spirit of all for one, of relationship, of restoration, level two is carried out so that everyone can help one another. And the Lord, again, is very, very clear about this. If he hears you, or if she hears you, then you would have gained this brother or gained this sister. If you would listen to two persons, that they agree that he or she has not acted correctly, that he or she might be caught in a certain sin that they are trying to help him out of, then he would come back into the relationship. There would be a restoration of the community and all will be well. But there's every possibility that he doesn't even listen to this slightly larger group. And so if he does not hear you, does not understand, does not accept, does not obey, does not repent, does not return, proceed to level three. Level three, involve the larger community. We go on in Matthew chapter 18, verse 17, the first part. And if he refuses to hear them, tell it to the church, the ecclesia. Now, what is the ecclesia? The word church is mentioned a second time in this passage. And in the book of Matthew, it's only referred to twice. One in Matthew chapter 16, verse 18, and the second and the third mention is here, but really just two references. I know it's definitely not referring to the institutional church as we know it today. But just broadly, generally, I believe it's talking about the kingdom or the messianic community. Jesus was referring to this group of people who would be believers, right? Little ones who believe in him. And when they come together with a common desire to serve the king and to serve one another, this becomes the called out ones, the set apart ones, the ecclesia. If we understand the Jewish community, you just need a minimum of 10 men that they can now be considered a community to start a synagogue. If you look at Acts chapter 1, verse 15, it mentions there were about 120 disciples, but both men and women. Now, 120 disciples would simply work out to 12 times 10. You have 12 tribes that speak of the new Israel, and the minimum number, 10, that forms a community within each tribe. So 12 times 10, 120, the Lord was saying, we are starting a new messianic community through all you disciples. So what is this ecclesia that Jesus was talking about? I don't think he was referring to a co-group of 5,000, 7,000, 8,000, although, yes, in a larger context, we can refer that to the ecclesia as well as to the church. But at this point in time, I believe he was very likely referring to a local community of believers. If you remember the parable of the lost sheep, it speaks of a shepherd with his flock of 100. That would be an average-sized flock. A small flock would be 10, 12, 15. A large flock for any shepherd would number up to about 300. So as you can see, it's not about numbering to the thousands. We are looking at a local community, a small group of believers to carry out these various levels. 
It's a group of disciples who love, who care, who have concern for this one person who might be acting wrongly or out of turn, not in kingdom ways and righteousness. And this group would know this person personally. Again, see, it's about relationship. Their desire is for him or for her to acknowledge this sin, to repent, to return, and then to be restored. Again, the picture of this small group, all of them for just one person. They're not all against this one person. Why? They, they know this brother. They know this sister. Jesus was not referring to a large megachurch context as we see it today, right? He's not saying uh, if levels one and two don't, don't work, then level three, you, you haul this person out and you put this name out, flash it on the screen, um, send out a mailer to everybody, uh, tell everybody and bring it to the ecclesia. I don't believe the Lord was doing that. He was not referring to the public shaming of the individual. He was appealing to just a slightly larger group of community of disciples who know this person, relationship, relationship, so that they can address this person personally with love, with care, with concern. And if he hears you, a larger community, if you see that everyone is consistent, everyone understands what kingdom living is all about, and that he recognizes that he's wrong, that he's loved, and that he's cared for, then he would return and he would come back. You would have gained a brother. You would not have lost him to the ways of sin. But again, the Lord is very, very practical, very realistic. He says, if he does not, if he does not hear you, doesn't understand, doesn't accept, doesn't obey, refuses to repent, to return, and to come back into the fold, we proceed to level four. Level four, Matthew chapter 18, verse 17, the second part says, But if he refuses even to hear the church, the ecclesia, let him be to you like a heathen and a tax collector. Now, what's a heathen and a tax collector? In a Jewish understanding, if you consider someone a Gentile, it just means that you're not part of the redeemed kingdom community. We have a different status uh, from you. And to consider someone a sinner simply means that this person is still in need of repentance as well as forgiveness. Now, this is heavy stuff if you're looking at a New Testament understanding. What does that really mean to consider someone not part of the kingdom community or that even this person still needs forgiveness even though Jesus has died upon the cross for them? As an Old Testament equivalent is actually to cut someone off from the assembly of Israel. Some commentators and leaders or teachers might use the word excommunication. I prefer the word dissociation. See, as a last resort, Jesus commands the community to dissociate themselves from this individual. It does not mean that you cannot talk to one another anymore, right? Excommunicate means there's no more communication. But to disassociate just means that, hey, we are, we are different. My status and your status is different. And even as we do that, remember the spirit of restoration. This action, as drastic as it may appear to be, remains rehabilitative rather than retributive in its design. We're not out to get someone. We're here to gain someone. Let me bring you to a New Testament example 
where Paul, when he wrote to the Corinthians, he included in it a rebuke as well as an instruction. 1 Corinthians chapter 5, in the passage verses 1 to 5, he hears of sexual immorality amongst the people. And this was a real serious case. And he was upset with them. He said, look, you guys are <laughs> puffed up and you have not even mourned. Now, you should be really upset about this whole thing because, I quote, he who has done this deed might be taken away from among you. That means cut off, dis disassociate with this person, right? Don't talk about this person in the way that you're handling it. It's wrong. In verse 5, it, it sounds serious. Deliver such a one to Satan for the destruction of the flesh, that his spirit may be saved in the day of the Lord Jesus. And I know it sounds serious and it's difficult to even implement something like this, but Paul's intent was so that he can experience what it means to be removed from the community and that this person will then feel that he wants to come back and he realizes it's wrong and he becomes repentant, remorseful, comes back, turns, returns, and when you have done that, then the community will receive you once more because we're waiting. We're waiting. We're looking out for you to come back. We're not cutting you off and saying, bye, we don't want to see you anymore. We're actually saying, I'm sorry, you have to stay out for a moment because this is what the Lord says. But we want you to come back as quickly as you hear, understand, and obey. And we see a follow-up to that story, right? In 2 Corinthians chapter 2, verses 5 to 11. It gives us uh, an understanding that this person was grieved and he wanted to come back. And so Paul then wrote to the people, receive him, bring him back, right? Forgive him because he has already acted now in the correct manner. And so I urge you, reaffirm your love for him because he has learned his lesson and we want to embrace him into the things of the kingdom. Friends, it's all for one. It's not all against one. And when the Lord is saying, I want you to treat this person like a heathen, a Gentile, as if like he's an unbeliever. Because if you are a believer, this is not the way you will act. I want you to treat him to a point where he understands if he does not repent, he does not receive the forgiveness that has already been bought for him. Now, why do I word it in this manner? Because this does not mean, and I believe the Lord is not saying this, that the person has lost his salvation. Not yet, at least. And I refer to this passage in 2 Thessalonians chapter 3, verses 14 to 15, to present my case. Paul was writing to the church in Thessalonica. He says, And if anyone does not obey your word in this epistle, in other words, if you're not living according to kingdom ways, note that person and do not keep company with him, that he may be ashamed. Well, what is Paul saying? Paul is saying, let's disassociate for a moment, right? Let him learn. Let him crave to be back in this kingdom community so that he understands the importance of relationship as well as righteousness to follow in the king's ways. Now look at verse 15. Yet do not count him as an enemy, but admonish him as a brother. So this person is still a brother to us. This person is still a sister to us. We're not cutting them out and saying you're lost forever and you're no longer saved. You know, That's not the idea. Not yet, at least. 
come back. We want you to be part of this community. And it's holding one another accountable. Kingdom righteousness has to be preserved in the kingdom community. That doesn't mean that we live perfectly and there's grace still to accept one another. But the Lord is so serious to a point where a person is unrepentant. Level one, level two, level three. When it comes to level four, the Lord says, enough is enough. Let this guy learn his or her lesson and we are all waiting for the day that he hears, he obeys and that he returns, that we can then rejoice. And that was part one, where Jesus prescribes the process right through from level one, two, three, up until level four. Part one. But what's part two all about? Let's look at Matthew chapter 18, verses 18 to 20, where Jesus affirms the authority that we have to carry out this process. Let's read those verses again. Assuredly, I say to you, whatever you bind on earth will be bound in heaven. And whatever you lose on earth will be loosed in heaven. Again, I say to you that if two of you agree on earth concerning anything that they ask, it will be done for them by my Father in heaven. For where two or three are gathered together in my name, I am there in the midst of them. Now, I want to establish the context once more. Part two must be read with part one in mind. If you look at the words whatever and anything, now these words refer to the preceding verses in part one that we have just covered. It emphasizes the power of community as well as of relationship when we speak of the two people coming together or the two or the three. Jesus was affirming the authority given to the kingdom community that we may carry out and execute part one correctly. Look at Matthew chapter 18, verse 18. It's almost verbatim with Matthew chapter 16, verse 19, part B, where it was spoken to Peter. I say to you, Peter. And the word you is singular, where Jesus directed that line to Peter. But in this passage, I say to you, it's plural. It's given to all disciples, all believers, everyone in the kingdom community. And the message is simple. I'm telling all of you, I'm giving you all this authority, every single one of you, not just leader or not leader. Everyone has a responsibility. Everyone is expected to carry this out. And I authorize you. You can bind and you can lose and I will be there with you. Well, let's unpack these verses a little bit so that we can understand what the Lord is really saying as He throws His weight behind all of us to act out and carry out part one rightly. Let's consider Matthew chapter 18, verse 18 first about binding and loosing. What does it mean? You know, in rabbinic understanding, it's about forbidding or permitting. In other words, you can take certain decisions according to the Word of God, according to Scriptures and His law, and what you forbid, you bind. What you permit, you lose. But when we bring it into a New Testament understanding, that still holds, but it includes something that is even more critical. The withholding of forgiveness, and as well as the extending of forgiveness, is included in this whole thought of binding and loosing. Now, how do I understand this? 
Look at John chapter 20, verse 23. The Lord gave this instruction to the disciples, authorizing them. If you forgive the sins of any, they are forgiven them. If you retain the sins of any, they are retained. Well, this sounds serious, and it is. See, if a person is unrepentant, the community has the authority to tell him or to tell her that, hey, your sins are not forgiven by God. They are bound. And Paul said the same thing to the church in Corinth to say, I want you to deal with this person and let him be bound in his sin. If he is unrepentant, you're not forgiven because the Lord requires you to repent that you may seek forgiveness that he can then forgive you. Now, if you are repentant, then this person can be loosed, released from his sins. He can be forgiven. Well, this is great authority that we have, right? What a responsibility you and I have to administer righteousness on behalf of our King. And this is not because we say so, but Jesus says so. Now, please don't be confused with personal forgiveness in that I need to forgive you, you need to forgive me for what you've done or said against me. Now, this will be addressed in the next passage. Here, we're talking about personal sin. I am responsible for how I deal with my sin to be repentant and to come into that promise of forgiveness that the Lord has already secured for me through Jesus upon that cross. But there are conditions, as we understand from this passage. You see, verse 18 presupposes that the church, the ecclesia, the community of disciples and kingdom people, that we are acting according to Jesus' guidelines given above. We have to follow each and every one of these levels, do it the best that we can. At the same time, we are seeking and we are sensitive to the Lord's will. We understand kingdom rules, kingdom righteousness, kingdom ways. Otherwise, how do we discern and ascertain what is allowed and what is not allowed? So this whole idea of binding and loosing, forgiving and helping someone understand this well, or even refusing to forgive where you are bound in your own sin, carries the very authority of God. Matthew chapter 18, verse 19, Jesus says, Again, I say to you, in other words, I'm emphasizing this point once more, that if two of you agree on earth concerning anything that they ask, it will be done for them by my Father in heaven. Now, I know many have quoted this and said, Oh, we can ask for anything as long as you and I agree, it shall be done. I know that sounds really good, but in context, it's not a blank check prayer, I'm sorry. When two persons agree about anything, does it mean that God's just going to snap his fingers and it will be done? Not really. The context of two or three here, again, has to be read in conjunction with whatever we have covered in part one. Where two or three confronting a certain person of sin and making then a judgment call. When we agree to withhold, to bind, or to loose, to release, or when we agree to move to a next level, this agreement, neo, the same voice that we are agreeing together, this symphony must be in accordance with God's will and God's ways. And as we do it and as we carry this out, the Lord will grant us His permission, His authority, and whatever we ask for, He will act on our behalf because we are acting in accordance 
to his instruction. Matthew 18 verse 20, one of the most misused and misquoted verses in the Bible, I think. For where two or three are gathered together in my name, I am there in the midst of them. Let me just state it very clearly, okay? This is not a verse to use to console ourselves when we don't have enough people in a meeting. In the event that no one comes and there's just two or three, we claim this verse. It's not about attendance. It's about authority. Can I say this once more? It's about authority. It's not about the attendance. It's the same context as above. Two or three people agreeing on the proper cause of action concerning someone who is willfully engaging in sin or unrepentant, refusing to acknowledge, refusing to accept what is being shared with him or with her. It's about the authority that we have that we may carry this out correctly. Let's look at Paul's example once more. He uses slightly different words, but I see the same spirit in this. In the case of the person who was in sexual immorality, 1 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 4, Paul writes this, In the name of our Lord Jesus Christ, when you are gathered together, can you see that? When two or three are gathered in my name, along with my spirit, with the power, the authority of our Lord Jesus Christ, deliver such a one to Satan. You have the authority. You have that power. You have that mandate. You have to carry this instruction out well. And you don't do it by yourself. The Lord promises to be there with you, to support you, and to stand with you. See, the whole idea is, the Lord knows the whole process in part one, level one, two, three, and four, not easy by any means. Not easy for those who have tried to even implement one part of this, a small little part, will testify to say how difficult it is, how much you struggle and how hard you pray before even just talking to one person, let alone bring it all the way to level four. The process is just not easy. And that is why the king, Jesus says, I authorize you. You are acting on my behalf. Now don't abuse this authority, but use it correctly. I promise you when you do this correctly and you listen to my instruction, I will support you. I will stand with you. I will be there with you. And as you act on this, it's acting as if I myself am giving that instruction to this one person. You have my backing. This is what part two is about. Let's not quote these verses out of context. I'm saying of course, you can use it, but let's bring it back into its proper use. Let's not just quote these three verses apart from part one. We're so happy to use part two, but never carry out part one. That would be not correct. And so we have covered part one and part two. And the king authorizes us through levels one, two, three, and four. But does it mean that when we get to level four, that's the end of the story? Bye, I can't associate with you anymore. See you next time. No, thankfully, the flowchart doesn't end there. And this is why it's important to keep remembering the context of this teaching. Everyone is important. 
and everyone is precious in the Lord's sight. Remember this, the Father's desire is that no one, not even one, should perish. Oh, but the Lord said to treat them like heathens and tax collectors, you know, to, to, to cut them off. Now, how did Jesus treat Gentiles and tax collectors? He reached out to them. He wanted to win them over. He wanted to bring them back into the community. See, so we have to look at Scripture in its entirety to know how to deal with someone in the community and someone who may be slightly pushed out for that moment. We continue to reach out. It doesn't end. We continue to want to restore, to recover so that we can rejoice. We can add one more if He hears if he hears, if, we keep putting that word if in there because our desire is that this person would hear, would understand, would accept and would obey. If he hears, let's keep reaching out. That one sheep, we keep going out for this one person. Why? Because we love this person all for one. If all of us would keep doing that, more and more we'll begin to invite this person back to say, repent, come back to the Lord. He's ready to forgive you. Come back into the fold, into the community where we can rejoice. Our part is to do as much as we can. But if not, if he refuses to hear after levels number whatever, sadly, it will end in destruction because he will move further and further and further away, not coming back into community, perhaps even believing in a wrong doctrine. And destruction will be the result. This is not our desired outcome. And that is why we remind one another, all for one, not all against one. We don't laugh at this guy to say, I'm sorry, you're out. All for one, because we're trying to win someone over and not lose this person to utter destruction. Now that we have covered both part one and part two, we have considered the passage in its entirety. I hope it has been helpful for you that we don't take one or the other, but really we should learn how to apply this correctly with the Lord's authority as well as His support. But you and I know that there are challenges that we face in trying to live this out and to apply it to the best of our ability. We struggle with it. And for the rest of this time, I want to present some factors that contribute to these challenges that we face. So that if we are aware, then we can better address it, not just by ourselves, but with one another and together as a community, be more faithful and more precise in the way that we carry this out. When we look at the process that Jesus prescribes, it's really very straightforward, level 1, 2, 3, and 4. And it seems simple and straightforward enough. But you and I know that it is very, very challenging. And three things that are not mentioned in this passage makes it even more challenging. One is, sin is mentioned, but what is this sin? We don't really know. Surely it's not every little petty issue, right, that we have to <laughs> apply this whole thing. Sure, we can sort things out and we should nip it in the bud as quickly as possible. But which sins was Jesus talking about? And that is why it makes it challenging. There's a need for very clear doctrines for us as a church, as an ecclesia, as a community, a clear stand on what the Word of God really says. For believers, disciples, we need to know 
what the kingdom is about and what are its ways and what is really kingdom righteousness. In today's terms, it is so confusing because one community can say this, another community can say that, and we are very, very confused. So what sin is this, right? It adds to the greater challenge. But if we look at the context once more in the last teaching, we did speak about the seriousness of sexual sins. So if a person is engaged in pornography or sexual promiscuity, I suppose that's a little bit clearer, but still does not make it easier in the climate of um, tolerance today, right? Uh, LGBTQ, adultery, divorce, things are a lot more accepted even in the kingdom community. If you want some consistency, the New Testament writers, they warn mostly about idolatry as well as sexual immorality. Second point here is, what's the frequency of the attempt? That's not clear. How many times, right, do we do level one, two, three before it gets to level four? Ideally, all disputes and conflicts or confrontations, if we can resolve it at level one or level two, that would be great. But how many times do we do level one, right? I talk to this person, he says, no. Do I go to level two? <laughs> how many times? Well, again, in the spirit of restoration, I want to believe that we should do it as many times as possible. We should exhaust all attempts before escalating to the next level. Now, related to this is then, what is the time frame of the entire process, right? What is level one to level four? How long does it take? Is it four days? Is it four weeks, months, years? Again, this is not mentioned. That's why it's very, very challenging. It's a judgment call by the individual as well as the kingdom community. I want to believe again in the same spirit of restoration, of love, of grace. We want it to be as long as it is required before it even gets to level four. But having said that, I must quickly add, it should also be as promptly as possible because a little leaven will leaven the whole lump. So can you see the challenge that we are faced with, even in this one point? There's three things that are not mentioned. What is that sin? What's the frequency of attempts that we should be at least doing? And what is the time frame? And there are no clear-cut answers because I believe the Lord wants us as a community to come together, to learn with one another, to submit to one another, so that we can then extend love and help to reach out to as many as possible. The second challenge, or the second factor that presents a challenge, is our understanding of discipline. Now, all of us tend to see discipline as negative, right? It's condemnation, it's punishment, it's excommunication. Look, the moment we talk about this passage, we think excommunication. That is not the right tone. And that's why it adds to the challenge of applying this well. Instead, discipline is to be seen as positive if we do it correctly. It's about correction. It's about restoration. It's about realignment, bringing someone back, putting him or her onto the right track again. Now, if you meet out discipline with the wrong spirit, again, that's another big problem. And I think most of the time, we do it wrongly. We should instead be dishing out discipline or meeting out discipline with love, with patience, and with grace. It really should be 
all for one. But because we do it wrongly or because of a wrong understanding and perception of discipline, it is always received as all against one. Discipline is positive if we see it from a kingdom perspective. We have to learn how to discipline well so that we can love correctly and bring someone back. The third factor that contributes to this challenge is generally our unwillingness to engage with someone else, and there's no other way to put it, our unwillingness to obey what the Lord is saying. Nobody wants to be the bad guy. No one wants to confront. No one wants to address the issue. And we conclude wrongly again, I might add, that we are not supposed to judge someone. We cannot judge at all. The Bible says cannot judge. Wrong teaching, wrong understanding. I quote Paul again from the same example, 1 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 3. For I indeed, as absent in body but present in spirit, have already judged him who has so done this deed. We are to judge, but judge correctly. We are to judge if we would extend that same evaluation also to ourselves. Let's check ourselves first. And since we have the wrong understanding of judging, we stop, we don't do, we disobey the Lord. It's easier just to mind your own business, right? Let's close both eyes. I don't want to hear, I don't want to hear, I, I don't know. And it leads to compromise. We try to extend grace because we don't want to talk about it. We do it in all the wrong ways. And we keep saying, let God deal with him. Let God deal with her. When scripture clearly commands us, instructs us to deal with the situation before it escalates. We are saying, God, deal with this person. God is saying, you deal with him or her with my authority. That's the only way you learn how to love. That's the only way you will mature. That's the only way relationships will be restored. I will do my part, but you learn how to lose your part. You see, because we are unwilling to engage and we are unwilling to obey, more and more, the kingdom community loses credibility. One other factor that contributes to the challenge of applying this well is the lack or the inconsistency of discipline across churches, across different local communities. And I'm not even talk, talking about institutional named churches. It is very difficult to implement if all of us avoid the same issue. And everybody wants to be nice, everyone wants to be a good friend, to be gracious. And we all forget that to love means also to be disciplined and to do it graciously. So when that happens, every community is an open door, right? Because we want to be welcoming for all good reason, I'm sure. But today, if we dissociate someone or with someone, or we excommunicate, if you prefer that word, this person can leave one community and go to another community and there are no questions asked. You can hop, skip, and jump and go to 5, 10, 15 communities until you find the one that agrees with your position and this one is the gracious one. This one is the loving one. Can you see this adds to the challenge of carrying out this instruction well? At the end of the day, it is because we lack real relationship. This instruction can only be carried out if we have authentic relationships. 
relationships that love one another, that really want to help one another, and it cuts across the entire board. We must be united in the way, in our stand, in what we agree, and how we can move and love one another. It is by no means easy. It can only be done if, as leaders, as communities, we hold to the same doctrine and understanding and interpretation of Scripture. So these are the challenges. And I say again, there are no easy answers to each of these factors. The issues have to be worked out with love, with maturity, without compromise. Individuals, you and I, we have to learn to take the initiative. But the issues and the instructions must be collectively embraced and addressed by the community. It's not what I think or what you think. At the end of the day, all of us must think and move with unity and with the same understanding of kingdom righteousness. But as we learn to overcome these challenges, again, we must keep in mind the spirit of this instruction. The king is serious about righteousness. He's serious about sin that exists in the kingdom community. This addressing of sin is for the good of the one, the individual, as well as the good for the all. Remember, all for one, and yet the one must live for the sake of all. Let's bring this teaching to a close now. It is too easy for us to see this passage as only level four, cutting someone off from the kingdom community. And yet the main thrust and the focus if we would look at this correctly and carefully, this passage is all about helping and restoring someone. I want to remind you again, part one and part two go together. You can't quote part one without part two, and you cannot use part two without part one. Jesus gives us the process as well as the authority. All for one. This teaching applies to all every one of us, to you as well as to myself, we all have a responsibility to engage at level one to do the best that we can. And when we come to level two or level three, it's not about ganging up against someone. It's doing our very best to help someone be restored into the kingdom community all again. Remember, we are not out to get someone. We are out there to gain someone, to win over someone. And even if we have to get to level four, may we do it correctly, boldly, courageously, knowing that the Lord is with us, that He stands for us as He gives us His authority and His support. Imagine if every kingdom community carried this out well. Let us start with you, my dear brother and dear sister. Let's pray together. Lord, we thank you for this very clear teaching by our Lord Jesus, recorded for us in Scripture. Yet, Lord, we acknowledge that it is so difficult to live this out if not for your Holy Spirit. Forgive us, Lord, where we have run away from this, where we have been disobedient. But as we strive to do this well and correctly, Holy Spirit, guide us, teach us. And Lord, if we are the ones who may be at fault, grant us also that grace to accept, to be humble, so that the community can benefit from everyone's correct response. And we can rejoice together and be a force to be reckoned with as we be an example 
to the people outside of this kingdom community, that we can win more, gain more, and we can rejoice more when they come and join us. We thank you and we bless you, Lord, in Jesus' name. Amen.